Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. The appetizer for today is what in the world does Moneyball have to do with teaching? Moneyball is a movie uh, about baseball. The book Small Teaching actually got me to rethink about what Moneyball was because Dr. Lang, who's an English professor at a university, wrote a book called Small Teaching. And first thing he describes is the story about Moneyball. Just to refresh your memory about yeah, that. Yeah, please do. I don't Moneyball know. basically was a story of the 2014 Kansas City Royals. Apparently, they were not a very good baseball team, but they made it to the final game of the World Series. And the story of Moneyball is about how instead of hiring big guys who hit massive home runs out of the park, their coaches paid attention to the little bitty things, the incremental things that you could do to actually put guys on base and to move them around the bases and score runs and play good defense and win games just by doing little incremental things and doing them well. So that was the story of Moneyball. And it worked for them. They went from a very bad team to a very good team in a a fairly short time. So Dr. Lang uses this as an illustration to think about what incremental things could teachers do in a classroom setting that might have a bigger impact to get the learners to learn more effectively. Because nobody has time to reinvent your curriculum, write it from scratch, start all over. If we suggested to people who teach in a classroom, look, all you got to do is just start all over and create a whole new curriculum. They'll stop you right there, right? Nobody has time for that. So these incremental changes might be something that could be done. And so that's the story of Moneyball and how it relates to teaching in a classroom. For a long, long time of my tenure here at, at the University of Louisville, I saw teaching in a formal setting, like a grand round setting or or some big uh, auditorium, as a performance. Oh, okay. And it was all about me. Instead of worrying about, did anybody in the audience learn anything, I was asking, how did I do? That teacher-centric focus is not where our allegiance should be. We are really there to get the learners to learn. There are ways to deal with that. And so Dr. Lang in in Small Teaching talks about some of the incremental things, the little things you might be able to do at the beginning, during, and the end of your session to really make it more effective. So for our entree today, nobody has time to redo everything and make this grand new lecture, right? So what could you advise faculty who teach in a classroom setting? What could you advise them to do during their hour that represent the equivalent of Moneyball. Small incremental changes they could make that don't cost much, easy to implement. They just have to know that, oh, I should be doing that. So what could they do? The ultimate goal is to have fewer of the passive activity and add some active activity so they're actually utilizing that content in their head and not just listening the entire time. For example, I would really try to implement something at least three times during the class, at the beginning of the class, in the middle of the class, and then again as they're walking out the door. 
at the beginning of the class, it's always really nice to get some feedback firsthand about what pre-existing knowledge about this topic you're gonna to talk about today. Get some feedback as to what they already know about that particular content. So the whole point is at the very beginning, get some engagement. Can people sit still, whether they're 17 or 57, can they sit still for 30 minutes and remain intently focused on what you are saying? How long is an average TED Talk? 18 minutes or so. 18 minutes. Do you know why it's 18 minutes? Because you can't pay attention past that, I that, guess. That <laughs> is exactly right. And so TED Talks are specifically at that 18 minute mark because that's when you're done. All right, so if we did five minutes at the beginning of yes. something to get them focused and engaged, and 20 or 25 minutes later, we do something to sort of bring them back into the fold, that would be a, a, that would be a good thing. Those are incremental little things that we could do. When we're talking about incremental little things, don't think you have to have a Kahoot or a poll everywhere. You don't have to utilize technology. You can, you know, use hands. You can say, give me a thumbs up. You can, you know, do other things to get some interactivity with the learners that you have in the classroom. So the kind of things that you brought up, whether it's a few minutes at the beginning or a few minutes in the middle or, or this exit ticket, it takes time away from the hour. What do you say to the faculty who bring up this concern? I have so much content to cover. You don't understand, Stacy. I don't have enough time as it is to cover the content and they're not gonna learn it unless I cover it. What, what do you say to that? If you spend all this time trying to talk, it's really going in one ear and out the other. So if it's something you know they really have to get, it's something that is critical, those are the things you wanna have those little active participation activities with because those are gonna stick with them. So Dr. Lang is an English teacher. That seems pretty far afield from what I do when I'm teaching because most Health Science Center faculty teach in a clinical environment where they have learners with them while they're seeing patients either in a clinic or in a hospital or in some setting where there's work to be done and yet learners need to learn as well. How does this relate at all to the work that I have to do? You could do something before you head on to rounds. Maybe you do something in the middle of the day, and then maybe you do something before they head home. I've actually tried this, but 90% of the people that I know don't teach in a classroom. What can I do for them to help them take what I think are, are probably valuable suggestions about small teaching and engagement and translate that into a clinical teaching environment? So some of the things I've tried, I've got three patients with disease A and two with this, and I got four that are gonna come that I don't quite know yet what they're gonna have. I then can prepare a couple of questions. I have index cards in my pocket all the time now. I could write a couple of things down, and at the very beginning, I could ask them, we got three patients with pneumonia on the list. Let's take five minutes. Tell me what you know about pneumonia. At least it, get, it focuses us for the beginning and sets up some questions later that we can follow back up with. Or I could ask them, what do you want to learn today? Like if I was in a clinic, what do you want to learn with the clinic patients you have? Maybe you're in a hypertension clinic in medicine. What do you want to know about blood pressure? Have you thought about your learning goals for the day? <laughs> and it's, it forces them to focus on, okay, I, that's that self-directed learning thing coming back to me again, there right? Yes, it is coming back to you. I think just taking a few minutes just to, to get them engaged in the active learning process that I'm not ignoring your clinical needs, patient. 
I am not ignoring your learning needs, students and residents. Let's see how we can figure out how to do this seamlessly together in the same session. I'm mindful that I've got to be better at this than I have been in the past, where I'm just asking questions as patients come up. So they're a little more directed, and I've given it some thought. That's, that's one easy thing that I've been able to do that if I got my note card that I wrote on that morning, I, I can at least get close. One other thing I've tried to do at the end of the rounds or at the end of the clinic session is to say, okay, how do we tie all this together? What do you still not understand? So this is the same question as from your lecture thing. What, what do you not understand yet? What was your main takeaway from today? Write a tweet about how you would teach this patient about their disease we just diagnosed with them today. It doesn't take much. I think that's the point. Incremental small changes in how we approach teaching in the clinical environment, much like in the classroom, can take advantage of the engagement that directly comes with that. Because from the learner's perspective, I would suspect they would see this as, wait, nobody's ever quite asked me that before at the beginning of clinic, or, or no one's given me this opportunity to think out loud about what I still don't understand. I think that these are easy things for us to do. And what I don't know is the effectiveness of that in the clinical environment. But you could predict from what we know about learning science, it probably would be better than just running through your patients through the day and hoping they picked up something along the way. Well, I could bring up in the Educator Grand Rounds, we had uh, Dr. Mike Metz. He was purposefully doing some active participation, some engaged activities with his learners. And the learners that had the opportunity to do that engaged activity were recalling the information much better than the learners who did not have the opportunity to do the engagement. And so I, I feel very comfortable in saying, yes, any engagement that you provide for your learner is going to make an impact. That's the key. We just need to be mindful of the power of engagement. We need to create circumstances in our clinical or in our classroom environments where we're mindful of that and we deliberately set up moments where they're going to be able to engage, beginning, middle, and end. I think the dessert for today is to consider watching the module that we created around small teaching because it gives you some practical ways to go at this. If you really got a lot of time, read the book called Small Teaching. And we have a blog post that summarizes some of the key features of this that's going to be on our website. If you like baseball, uh, go watch the movie Moneyball. I'm sure you can find (laughs) it somewhere on Netflix or somewhere. Commit one time this coming week. Just give this a try. Spend a few minutes in the morning thinking about how am I going to deliberately insert some moments where my learners can engage in a way different than I've done it before, where I prepare, I get them lined up for the middle of rounds, and I think about how we're going to end the day to sort of wrap it up. And if you need help, feel free to contact me. If you need some ideas, I'm sure that we can find something together. If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be as together we strive to make UofL a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Join us next time for more and come hungry.